Well, good morning, West. It is great to be here. I'm Amy Coles, and it's a joy to be back with you. I want to say a welcome to all of those that are here with us at Lake Norman High School, as well as those who are worshiping with us online. I'm glad and excited to be a part of this message series called Stranger Things. Although I will have to admit to you that over the past two weeks, when Andrea's had you all clap for those who knew about this show and those who didn't know about this show, I was in that second group, had never heard of it. And so when I talked to my 16-year-old niece about the show, she gave me one of those looks. You know, those looks like, you are so out of it. And she quickly informed me that when the second season came out on Netflix, she watched the whole season in one day. So she gave me a great tutorial, and what's interesting to me is as I begin to watch the, the, some episodes in that first season, it is a wonderful depiction about how ordinary life can be combined with alternative realities, with the unexplainable. And I think as we think about miracles, miracles in our world, miracles in our very own lives, And as we do so by looking at some of the miracles that we find in the Bible, we might also want to describe those as stranger things. Now, I have to tell you that when I hear the word miracle, one of the first thoughts that always comes to mind is a story I heard in a math education class when I was in college. You see, before I felt God's nudge, God's call to become an ordained minister, and that may have been a miracle in and of itself, I thought I would be a math teacher as I grew up. And so I remember in one of our foundational classes, one of those very first classes you you take as you think about what your major will be and, and what your life's vocation will be, the professor invited an elementary school math teacher in to, to share with us some stories about what teaching was like, in the, especially teaching math in, in an elementary school. And I really can only remember one story, and I think it's because of the students' creativity as they did the work. You see, the teacher had assigned some long division for homework, and um, the problem they, they, that she assigned um, was this problem. We'll look at the first slide. All right, so how many of you would be excited about having to solve that problem? Well, it was homework, and, and one of the things that the, the teacher had said, as math teachers love to do, is um, please go home, please solve these problems, and remember as you turn in your homework paper, I need for you to show your work. So, that was the problem, and so the student began. Next slide. And he did pretty good to start with. He remembered that he needed to think about how many times 314 went into that 813 and did the math and guessed right at two, and so began pretty well. Next slide. And then, of course, he subtracted like he was supposed to and carried down the two, and things were looking pretty good for this student. Next slide. Well, when it came to the next number, he had a a bit of difficulty. You see, he tried four and and realized that maybe that wasn't going to work so well. Next slide. 
So he scratched out that and started again and decided that he would go with five for the next number. The only problem is, is that he made a mistake in multiplying. 314 times five is 1,570. And so that screwed him up for the rest of the problem. But he wasn't going to stop, and I don't think he'd even realized he did that. So he subtracted, he carried down the six, was ready to go for that final number. Next slide. And he tried six, and he tried seven, he skipped eight, tried nine, and realized that none of it was going to work. Well, I think at this moment, he pulled out his handy-dandy calculator figured out the answer to the problem. And the next slide, this was the work he showed. Then a miracle happens and you get the right answer. Clap if you've ever done that. (laughs) Yes, um, I'm glad that they put calculators on phones now. Then a miracle happened and you get it right. I think that also can apply to one of the miracle stories that we find in all four of the Gospels. All four of those first four books in in the New Testament section in our Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those part of the library of the Bible that that tell us the story of Jesus' life. And, And in that miracle story that we find in all four of those books... We find that Jesus was spending time with a crowd. He was healing. He was caring. He was teaching. And they spent all day together and the people begin to grow hungry. And so five loaves and and two fish are all that are found to be offered for food. And then a miracle happens and the crowd is fed. 5,000 plus people are fed with plenty left over. Let's hear that as it comes from the 14th chapter in Matthew's gospel. So when Jesus heard about John, he withdrew in a boat to a deserted place by himself. When the crowds learned this, they followed him on foot from the cities. And when Jesus arrived and saw a large crowd, he had compassion for them and healed those who were sick. And that evening, his disciples came and said to him, this is an isolated place, and it's getting late. Send the crowds away so that they can go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said to them, there's no need to send them away. You, you give them something to eat. And they replied, but we have nothing here except for five loaves of bread and two fish. Jesus said, well, bring them here to me. And he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass. And he took the five loaves of bread and the two fish. And he looked up to heaven and blessed them and broke them and broke the loaves apart and gave them to his disciples. And then the disciples gave them to the crowd. And everyone ate until they were full. And then they filled 12 baskets with the leftovers. About 5,000 men plus women and children had eaten. So let's unpack this miracle story just a little bit. First, we read, as Matthew tells us, that Jesus had taken a boat and gone to a lonely place. You see, he just heard about the death of his cousin, John the Baptist. 
John had been beheaded at the direction of a young girl who was being manipulated by her power-hungry mother. Perhaps that's a new plot line for Stranger Things. And so Jesus was sad, and, and he wanted to get away and mourn the loss of his relative. But the crowds figured out where Jesus was going, and they followed him on foot from their towns and villagers. They were sad. They were sick. They were hungry. They were in need of, of something. And, and while many of us would have told them to get out of here and get out of the way and give Jesus some space, Matthew tells us that Jesus had compassion on them. He healed them. He comforted them. He spent time really listening to them, to their needs and to their cares. He spent all day being with the crowds and and the disciples were milling out and about of the crowds. There were, Matthew says, over 5,000, 5,000 men plus the women and the children. And so as night begins to fall, the the disciples come up to Jesus and and they suggest that he might want to send the people away to the neighboring towns and villages to get something to eat. After all, they were out in the middle of nowhere. There weren't any McDonald's or Chick-fil-A's nearby where they could go grab some supper and come back together. The disciples didn't mean any harm. They were were just being practical. Their own stomachs were beginning to grumble. And so they, they figured that others would be too. And yet as they say that to Jesus, Jesus has some other ideas. He says, you know, they need not go away, he tells the disciples. Jesus must have known that they needed to be together. They need not go away. You give them something to eat, Jesus told the disciples. Now, I wish I'd been there. Don't you? Wouldn't you have liked to have looked at the the look on the faces of the disciples when Jesus said that to them? Us? Us? Give them something to eat? Jesus, you're the boss here. You're in charge. You want us to do that? I mean, all we've got here are five loaves and two fish. That's not enough for a little bitty snack for 12 grown men not to imagine over 5,000 people. Jesus, have you looked out there? Do you realize how many people are out there? You are not making any sense. You see, the disciples were operating out of an attitude of scarcity. They'd been out and amongst the crowds. They hadn't seen any picnic baskets or backpacks. They figured nobody had anything. And they didn't have enough to even make it around their own circle of 12. There wasn't enough. They did like so often we do. They looked at their meager meager resources and thought, there's no way. There's no way. But Jesus operated from a a kind of a different perspective. You see, where the disciples saw scarcity, Jesus saw abundance. While the disciples wanted to claim there's not enough, Jesus knew there was plenty. Plenty of time. Plenty of food. Plenty of resources. Plenty of options with what they had on hand. You give them something to eat. 
And so he asked the disciples to bring the five loaves and the two fish to him. He sat the crowd down on the ground and and he lifted up those resources to heaven, asking God to bless them. Now it's here where I also begin to wonder. I wonder what the crowds thought as they watched what Jesus was doing. Did they think Jesus had lost his mind? I mean, it was quite a risk that Jesus was taking, the kind of risk that that we sometimes have to take when we ask God for a miracle. And I can only imagine that, that some thought he'd just totally gone crazy. I also have to wonder how the miracle happened. Have you ever thought about that? I mean, was it as Jesus lifted those loaves and fish up to heaven that they multiplied to enough to feed over 5,000 people so much that the disciples had to call in reinforcements to pass it out among all the people? Or did it happen as the basket was going around? A person would break off a piece of bread and, or a piece of fish and, and immediately they'd, they'd grow back to be more. Or maybe it was that as they're passing the the, the basket, just more loaves magically begin to appear. And when I'm going down that trail, I also have to wonder, I wonder, where did the baskets come? The 12 baskets that they gather up the leftovers to bring them back to Jesus. I wonder. Barbara Brown Taylor, who is one of my heroines as a preacher, suggests that maybe, just maybe, this could have happened. You see, it could have been that as the people watched Jesus ask God to bless those loaves and that fish, some of them laughed aloud. They knew Jesus had lost his mind. Others, well, they were kind of mystified, wondering what was going to happen. Still others were embarrassed for Jesus. Oh my goodness, he was promising so much with so little resources. But Barbara Brown Taylor says maybe there were others. There were others who who just might have been touched. Touched to the point that that little bit of food that they had in their pocket, that little bit of food began to kind of burn a hole in their pocket. Because, of course, you know they had to have brought some. They'd followed Jesus to a lonely place. There wasn't a quick trip to go get a snack if they needed it. John even tells us in John's gospel that it was a young boy that had the five loaves and the two fish that he offered up to the crowd. They had to have brought something. Oh, maybe it was a little bit of lamb wrapped in a grape leaf. Maybe it was a few raisins in their pocket. Maybe it was a a piece of leftover bread that they just packed away, wrapped it up so that that they could have it later. And and it wasn't enough to share. And so they'd been thinking that they'll just wait for the opportune time and go off on a walk by themselves and, and gobble it up and then come back and continue listening to Jesus. We probably would have done the same thing, right? And that might have worked. It might have really worked, except as the people saw the baskets being passed around, 
They realized that people were being really careful. Being real careful not to take too much. And and again, that food was, was burning a hole in their pocket. And so instead of taking from the basket, oh, they reached in and made it look like they were taking something, but actually they were giving what they had so that it could be shared, so that it could be given to others. And when the disciples gathered up all the the baskets, what they found was this. Oh, there was some pita bread and and maybe a bit of a roll. There might have even been a a blueberry muffin or, or a bagel. All the gifts of those who had been there, 12 baskets full, and everyone had had plenty to eat and the disciples could do nothing but stare at it in amazement. Now I can imagine what some of you are thinking that as I share this story by Barbara Brown Taylor that what I'm trying to do is explain away the unexplainable. And I'll share with you that in the last church I served, when I I dared to mention this, I had a few people who never, ever, 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 ever forgave me. Please don't go this afternoon and put on Facebook that the assistant to the bishop does not believe in miracles. Because I most certainly do. I believe in an incredibly huge God. An incredibly huge God who can, who can cure a tumor, who can heal a parent's broken hearts when, when their, um, their child has been killed in an accident. But I shared this illustration as a way of, of maybe helping us to think about this miracle in a bit of a different way. That yes, God does those unexplainable, unimaginable, stranger things like what happens in the Upside Down on Netflix. But the trouble is, if we always expect God to do the magical, then perhaps we just might miss the way that God wants to work through you and through me, through, through the little bit that is you and me, to do miraculous things. God wants us also to be a part of God's miracles. Let's watch for a second. As we watch one clip and then a video, one about Hopper as he leaves some of what he has for Eleven in the last episode of season one of Stranger Things. And it'll be followed by a video from Norway, which I think illustrates perfectly what Barbara Brown Taylor is trying to teach us. Already, Chief? Oh, come on. You think I actually wanted to come to this thing? I was just hungry. Oh, yeah, that's the spirit. Well, your wife doesn't have time to cook for me. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Merry Christmas, Hop. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> 
I'm amazed at the number of times in the Bible where it says that God gave. In John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that God gave his only begotten son. The nature of the God that we know in Jesus Christ is is a giving God, a generous God, and an extravagant God. And you and I are created in the image of God. And what that means to me is that you and I are a giving people. I believe that deep down at the core of each one of us, each one of God's children is a generous, extravagant, giving human being. And you know, I often think that we see that most in children, especially children before they get corrupted and thinking that they have to keep a little bit for themselves. Children who will forgo their birthday presents and ask the people coming to their party to bring dog food and cat food and toys that can be given to the animal shelter. Or just this morning, a young girl named Alex, I heard about on the TV, on the morning news show, about how she heard that um, the Charlotte Rescue Mission needed food boxes for people. And so she talked to her parents about that, and then she began to go door to door asking for donations. And the clip showed baskets full and baskets full of food that she was getting from the donations that she got in order to make those food boxes. Children have a way of teaching us to trust that they'll have what they need. And I think we need to follow their lead to, to demonstrate to the world that there is enough. That as we give the little that we have, God will make it. God will miraculously make it into an abundance. And you do that so many times here at West. Out, outside today is, is um, a, a, a truck, a, an opportunity to pack the truck for our town's habitat so that those who are, who are getting to come into new houses will have what they need as well as people can buy things that will then fund new houses being built. A few minutes ago, we heard, saw a video that talked about Ding Dong Ditch, that opportunity that, that you all have, that we have to, to give to, to children in need, to, to maybe even spend just as much as we would on our own children to those, for those who have not. Each and every Sunday as the food truck goes out, 
think it's a demonstration of this miraculous story of the loaves and fish. As they have no idea how many people are going to come. But they trust. They trust that there will be plenty. Sharing a little bit to do extravagant things. It's actually, I think, one of the hallmarks of what it means to be a United Methodist. Every single United Methodist church contributes what we call missional giving or, or sometimes it's commonly called apportionments. It's a little bit that each and every church all across the world contributes to the greater whole so that we as a denomination can do things like find a university in Africa that trains doctors and teachers and ministers. Or we can fund and operate a, a medical clinic in the Dominican Republic in a place where people don't have access to good medical care. Or it, it starts, helps to start new churches in Southeast Asia, churches that, that were planted kind of just like West was and continue to grow and reach new people with the good news of Jesus Christ. It's out of that missional giving that we, we have the structure for what we need so that when you give to hurricane victims or the fire victims out in California, every cent goes to them because of our missional giving, that infrastructure is there to do that good work. And friends, what better time to think about giving to think about being generous as we get ready to celebrate that, that first three-day feast between 90 Waccamong um, Indians and, and 50 pilgrims. As they brought together what they had, maybe it was a little, maybe it was a lot, but it allowed them to feast for three days. Friends, in addition to, to taking time each day this week, where I hope that you'll give thanks to God for, for all of your many blessings. I also hope that you'll take some time or an opportunity to give. To give of yourself or to give a little of what you have. Perhaps that's by putting some more money in the offering boxes in the back. Knowing that it's going to go to help Acres of Hope. Or another one of the many incredible missions that, that Wes supports. Maybe it's by purchasing some more cans for the backpacks for the Third Creek Elementary School backpack program. Or maybe it's as simple or as difficult as, as giving of yourself to actually want to and have a conversation with that person that comes to Thanksgiving that drives you totally nuts. If we'll all give just a little, God can turn it into an abundance. So, you know, I, I don't know how the miracle occurred. And I'm not really worried about that. But the message I take away from this miracle story is that our lives, our lives can be richer as we're willing to share what we have with our extravagant, generous God, a God of abundance. Would you pray with me? Oh God, we give you thanks that you do bless each and every one of us, that you love us unconditionally. And we confess, oh God, that so often 
We're like those disciples. Those disciples who think, well, we just don't have enough. There's not enough to go around. Remind us, oh God, of your call to give what we have. That others in need might have what they need. And let us trust you, God, that there will be enough. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So friends, what's burning a hole in your pocket? What is God calling you to share with another? Let us go forth. Let us go forth serving the God of the miraculous. Have a great week and a blessed Thanksgiving. Amen.